0: Temple University's School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management, STHM, has prioritized diversity, equity, and inclusion in their business practices and strategic plan. Their new Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion has been charged with the responsibility of spearheading STHM's student-facing DEI programming faculty education and collaboration with industries on school-wide DEI initiatives. As the sports, tourism, and hospitality industries have become more globalized and integrated than ever before, STHM acknowledges their responsibility to help move these industries forward by minimizing polarization and creating equitable, inclusive, and diverse leaders. To learn more about Temple University's School of Sports, Tourism, and Hospitality Management, visit sthm.com. Dot .temple.edu dot That's s t h m Welcome to the Demystifying Diversity podcast. Where each week we explore topics related to diversity, equity and inclusion. I'm Dara Lease Lyons. We began this season talking about biracial identity. It feels only fitting that we conclude this season by speaking about interracial marriages. We have
1: a very diluted interracial marriage, right? Because I am white appearing, it's not like the interracial marriage that my parents experienced, um, where you know there was more tension around it and and <clears throat> um, things of that nature. But I do love that Chris and his family embrace mine. You know, and I, I think that that's how people come to understand each other is through love and, like, really getting to know people for who they are and not the color of their skin. So, um yeah, but like, his family might not have had that experience um, of getting to know um, Black people intimately if I, we weren't married, right? So... That's definitely a gift that, um, you know, love kind of um, melts all of that prejudice and bias away. And um, I think that that's a really beautiful thing.
0: The year was 1958. Richard and Mildred Loving were five weeks into their marriage but their honeymoon period came to an abrupt end when police burst through the door in the middle of the night and arrested them. They dragged the couple to the local jail where they were separated and where the legal system treated them differently. Richard spent a single night in jail before being released on a $1,000 bond while Mildred was denied bond. She spent three nights in a small cell before finally being released into her father's care. So what if they were in love? Who cared if they wanted to be together? According to Virginia state law, it was a crime for Richard of Irish and English ancestry and Mildred of African-American and indigenous heritage to have gotten married. And the presiding judge, Leon M. Bazile, found them guilty of the quote-unquote crime of interracial marriage. After the judgment, Judge Bazile gave them a choice. They could either go to prison or leave Virginia for 25 years. The Lovings left. But they missed their lives and their families, and they continued to appeal the Virginia judge's decision for nine years, Until, on June 12, 1967, in a unanimous decision, the U.S. Supreme Court deemed that laws banning interracial marriage were unconstitutional. When asked her thoughts on the case, Mildred said, If we do win, we will be helping a lot of people. Those words could not have been more accurate. The Loving's tenacity paved the way for other interracial couples. Now, 62 years after the Lovings' initial arrest and 53 years after the Supreme Court's unanimous decision, interracial relationships are a lot more common and a lot less stigmatized. A 2017 Pew Research report revealed that in the United States, 10% of all existing marriages and 17% of new marriages were interracial. It's likely that, in the years since the publication of those findings, the numbers have only grown. Every interracial couple has their own unique story. At the same time, there is something that they all have in common. Six decades ago, their love would have been legally prohibited in certain states. Now that people are free to marry across racial lines, cross-racial and cross-cultural unions have become more ubiquitous. In this episode, we're spotlighting the stories of eight interracial couples. There's our very own Anna Marie and her husband, Chris Jones, Elizabeth Hasegawa-Agresta and Thomas Agresta, Marissa and William Gwyn, Ashley and Emmanuel Awad, Sarah and Melinda Gandhi, Melinda Hale and John Volk. Michelle, Chell, Campos, Velez, and Army Grace Campos, and Nikki and Ben, who have opted to keep their last names anonymous. Nikki is Chinese, and her husband Ben describes himself as a whole host of races, but says he is culturally Italian, Irish, and Colombian. Nikki and Ben met in China in 2016. I was uh, doing
2: some, some traveling out in China, and I needed a translator. And I, I found a translation uh, company. And there was another guy there that was talking about um, law, uh, criminal minds, right? Criminal minds and law and order. It's my favorite show.
3: No, he's a criminal lawyer.
2: He's a criminal lawyer, but he was talking about criminal minds.
3: Yeah, I, um, and then I, I am the one is a big fan of criminal minds.
2: So the guy was uh, the guy was hanging out there, he was talking about criminal minds. And at the time, at, well, this is a little bit after the time that I had worked for ANU Networks. And I, you know, we did the reruns for Criminal Minds, and I was like, ah, you know, I, 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 know the show really well because I had to watch it in, in you know, in the in the prime slots to make sure that the show went well. And um, I, didn't, I don't, I don't like any of those shows. <laughs> I have nightmares of watching them. Over I love them. It. <laughs> But but she loved it, and then and then she, you know, and then he just became friendly when he stayed in touch.
0: Sarah Gandhi is a white woman born in Boston. Melinda Gandhi is originally from India. They met for the first time twice. So we
4: actually met before Melinda actually remembered us meeting. <laughs> we, we met um, when we were both working at UIC. And first time we met was actually he came for coffee in the, in the office. And that was where we, we chatted for the first time but he didn't actually remember meeting me (laughs) until, until like a few months later when there was, there was an office social, there was a picnic outside. Yeah. And, um, Ellie was, my youngest Ellie was, um, in preschool at the time and she came for the office picnic and, um, we were playing over on the swings and Melinda came on over and he talked with us. And that was, that was the first time Melinda remembered meeting me. (laughs) So (laughs) everything before that is, is, doesn't count. (laughs) What did you remember about meeting him? Um, Melinda was always really charismatic. Like he, he goes into a room and he, um, He's really personable. He tells jokes. He's really funny. He's, he's a really likable guy. That's what I remember about first time I met Melinda.
0: And Melinda, what did you remember about the second time
4: you met Sarah? So according to me, when we met for the first time, <laughs>
5: <laughs> No, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, the, um, the office party office gathering and, uh, uh, I was a postdoc, and she was working in the in the administrative office. And we we had a uh, a new students coming party, something like that. And we were all mingling, and we were talking and chatting and barbecuing. And then uh, uh, Sarah was on a side. It was outside party, so it was on a uh, like one of those playground area. And um, she was out there uh, playing with Ellie. And uh, uh, that, that's what I remember about her is that, you know, there is a party going on. There are people having fun. And, and this is, this is uh, a girl who's just uh, happily playing with her kid. And uh, that was the first thing I remember about her. And I, I, I told her later that, uh, uh, you know, the, the first thing which I thought was that uh, if ever I'm going to have a kid, I would like a mom like this. Uh, for my kid, because, you know, she was just having fun with the kid. She didn't care about the party. She didn't care about whatever was going on. it was just, and and then I went over and started talking and starting playing with Ellie. And I was like, oh, Sarah might be thinking, who's this weird brown guy playing with my
0: daughter? <laughs> Thomas and Elizabeth first encountered each other shortly before Father's Day 1990. Thomas is Italian, Irish, Hungarian, and French, raised in New York. Elizabeth, who is ethnically Japanese, born and raised in Canada, moved from the Vancouver area to Greenwich, Connecticut.
6: I moved out here in 89 with a bunch of nursing school friends, and we started working at Greenwich Hospital. And I've always run since high school and college. So one of the races was a one-miler, Greenwich Avenue mile. So I went into the store where they're selling the registrations and all that, and I asked them which, what the directions were, where I went G-G-S, to go. What
7: down. was the cost, course route?
6: And I got laughed at.
7: It's one um, mile straight. Made <laughs> <laughs> up Greenwich Avenue, Well, you but, know Greenwich Avenue.
6: But, but wait, it could be down yeah. Greenwich Avenue down, or it so, yeah. could be up Greenwich yes.
7: Avenue. Yeah.
6: Anyway, I got laughed at by this group of guys, and I walked out of the store, and he followed me out, and we got to talk.
7: We started talking. I don't think we planned to meet. We just got talking. Or mm-hmm. did we make a date? I, I think remember.
6: we we planned on maybe talking about going for a run together, okay. which we did. Yeah. And then after that, it was dinner at the Boxing Cat, if you remember that. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah.
7: Yeah. That that's about it. It's pretty. Yeah. So we, we went basic. for like a five mile run, then showered and went to Fox and Cat at Salmon. Showered in our individual places.
0: <laughs> it was a shared interest that connected demystifying diversity co-creator Anna Marie Jones and her husband Chris. As we've shared throughout this series, Anna Marie is biracial. Chris is white.
1: My roommate at the time in New York City was dating one of Chris's good friends who he's still really close with. And um, we all went out to dinner and I just loved that Chris was so like interested and engaged, you know, like he, he really engaged in conversation and was so like polite and just different. You can tell that he was someone who really cared about other people and really wanting to get to know them on, you know, like connecting with them on a deeper level. And so that's what, you know happen at dinner and he also loved karaoke so um that night at dinner he's like do you want to come with my friends and i to karaoke and i'm like yes and that's kind of what sealed the deal because we both love karaoke <laughs> <laughs>
8: that's
1: so fun! what wait so did you sing any songs together that night oh yeah we have a whole bunch of duets that started that night
6: <laughs> yeah
0: still <They'll> sing yeah <laughs> Will and Marissa Gwynn met as college students approximately 10 years ago. Will is black. Marissa is white.
9: We met in college. We went to a small school in the suburbs of Philly. And our first year, I think it was the first semester, we had a class together, but we were just acquaintances. But I do remember, like, noticing him. But we were both dating other people at the time. So it's kind of like, oh, he's good looking. Okay, moving on, you know. Um, But then it was the summer of our junior year. We were both single, and we had to come back early for school for RA training, which is we were both resident assistants. Um, I was in the women's dorm. he was in uh, the men's dorm. And we had connected, and he got my number, and then rest was
10: history I guess I saying? guess what really happened is they we were like the RAs come report early to campus to do trainings all that good stuff and she had like hey let's get everybody together and go get some ice cream at this place around town and she had texted out like a bunch of people in my friend group and didn't text me so I was like hey what's going on like you didn't want me to come to the event you didn't want me to be there and then she was like well I just don't have your number and I was like well let's exchange numbers right now and that's how the numbers got exchanged. That's how
8: I
0: got,
10: number. How I got the number, and the rest <laughs> is
11: history.
0: Michelle Chell Campos Velez and Army Grace Campos met online in 2006. Army is Asian; her parents emigrated from the Philippines. Chell is black and Latina, with Puerto Rican and Dominican ancestral heritage.
12: I was on MySpace, and it's funny because I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm sick and tired of MySpace. I'm just gonna just like close my account i'm done with this and i'm like you know what i'm bored let me check out who's around my area so i you know i started searching around jersey city and then i bumped i stumbled upon her page i'm like oh she looks kind of cute um let me message her okay so you know i just send her a message on aim like AOL instant messenger. Yeah. Oh my god, like from they're the, old they're like from the stone ages. So mm-hmm. I messaged her. I'm like, Hey, um I think I like your profile pig. Um let's aim. Here's my aim.
13: Um and then and then I responded, Yeah, let's do that. And I was trying to be all like smooth and stuff. I was trying to like I was trying on like my flirtiness, but I don't think it really like I don't know. And I was like, yeah, and I love your pictures, too. And then it just started until, um, you know, we we talked on AIM and we were just talking and we got into some really deep conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Even if they hadn't met on MySpace, Army and Chell might have eventually encountered one another.
12: When we met and we actually linked up on MySpace and on Facebook, we realized we had over 100 mutual friends or something.
0: Yeah, it it was so crazy. Ashley and Emmanuel Awad met online as well. Ashley is white and Emmanuel is black. His parents came to the United States from Ghana.
11: We met on match.com. So I was traveling a lot for work and some friends convinced me to join. And so I messaged her like my fourth or fifth day on there. Then we went on a date. And then we just kept going on dates. And I was like, oh, so.
0: It was love at first (laughs) sight for me. I saw him and I was like, oh, there you are. John Volk and Melinda Hale's initial encounter wasn't exactly an, oh, there you are, love at first sight moment.
8: I was living in New York at the time. And I came, this was in 2009. And I was doing like theater and and performing and stuff out there. And so I came home in December for the holidays. And my sister at the time was working for the Disney Interactive Media Group. And she invited me to come out on New Year's Eve with uh, people that worked at her job and they were all going to Universal Studios. And so I went with one of my friends and John also worked at the Disney Interactive Media Group with my sister. And so I had heard about so many people that my sister had worked with. So when I was there, I was really friendly. I was hugging everybody. I was like, oh, I feel like I know you. I heard so much about you, blah, blah, blah. And then when I get up to him, he didn't look familiar from any of the pictures. So I was like, oh, I'm Jamaica's sister. And he goes, oh, I feel like I already know you. Totally making fun of me. Oh. And mocking me because I had been saying that to everyone. And I literally went and walked away from him. That was our first interaction. And cut to we are engaged eight months later.
0: Melinda is Black. John is white. She grew up in California. He grew up in Kansas. Along with their racial differences and differences in background and upbringing, they talked about how important it is to enrich and expand our worldviews.
14: One of the huge benefits is just seeing, you know, getting a, a broader view of life it's I more than anything else I I think you know a version my version of hell would be you know staying in where I was raised you know getting into a marriage early on having kids and then just kind of letting things be for a while um not to say that you know that's a terrible thing even though I just termed it as my version of hell
0: (laughs) It's terrible it for you. Right? It's not. where it, yes. yes. it's, yeah. it's not. Yeah. But
14: whereas, like this, and it's not like I was seeking out. Hey, I need something that's completely multicultural. But having stumbled into it, I have friends and acquaintances and people I can call my family now that have entirely different views of life and and just the their way experiences, they are, experiences, yeah. and everything. and I am probably more interesting to them than I would be to other people. You know, if I had stayed back in Kansas because. I, they don't know anyone who's, who's been, you know, where, where I was
0: growing up. Ben and Nikki also spoke about how essential it is to be curious and receptive to the richness that other people bring, not in spite of their differences, but because of them.
2: People from all over the place are intriguing to me. You know, they always have been. And and you hear the stories, like how, how, how'd you come to America? Like, it's a fascinating question for people. Like where'd you come from? What was What was the impetus in your brain that brought you here? And I, I love to hear those stories and, and, you know, when you get used to hearing people's accents, you know, it's, I mean, it just adds to their character. I, you know, so I, I don't understand why people have such a problem with it here. They, they're so afraid of the other. And, and I think because, because I was treated like the other, I, I, I never had a problem with anyone who also fell into that category.
0: Shifts in cultural and societal perceptions surrounding interracial relationships have made it easier for contemporary interracial couples than for those in previous generations. Anna Marie often reflects on how things have changed, even within her lifetime. It's pretty amazing that
1: interracial marriage was illegal, you know, just a couple of years before I was born, really, in certain states. and. I do remember my mom telling me stories. and I think it's in one of the interviews about her and my dad going down South. And my, my mom was definitely feisty. That's where I get it from. And she's like, it's just ridiculous. How come people um, can't accept the fact that we're together? Like, and, and he's like, Joanne, please do not cause a ruckus. Do not cause a scene. I can still be lynched here in the state of Louisiana. You know, it's not a joke. You know, keep your head low. This is how you have to do it in the South. You know, our interracial marriage is much different. It's diluted and it's a different time. And so that progression in and of itself is pretty amazing, right?
0: Ben thinks about this progression too. His parents had an interracial marriage.
2: My dad was a big Irish Italian guy, right? And I mean, he was big, he was, you know, he was tall. He was built like a brick shed house. I mean, the guy was a huge guy. He's missing his two front teeth. Kind of talk like a little bit like this, you know? And he was in the union, which didn't, you know, he was the, I think he was the, for Con Ed in New York. He was the union rep or the, he was a union rep or something. So my, when my dad married my mother, who is a tiny little Colombian lady, uh, and she's about, you know, she's about 4'11", you know, and my dad's this big dude. Uh, when he got married um, and he went and he told his father, who uh, who was, you know, not? He, he was a jerk off, my grandfather. He was a real jackass. So when my dad told him he was married, he's like, well, if you marry that, Spick, we're going to cut you off, right? And my dad said, well, let me ask you a question. You pay my bills? No? Then go fuck yourself. <laughs> we could be the healing
6: When you're feeling all alone We can be the reason To find the strength to carry on in the world so divided, we shall overcome. We can be the healing. We can be the flower in the gun. We can be the healing. We could be the flower in the gun.
0: Despite external obstacles, Ben's parents and Anna Marie's parents chose love. Much like the lovings and other interracial couples who pressed forward no matter the cost or the consequences, their doing so has helped shift public perceptions about interracial love, at least insofar as what people will admit. A 2012 study by the Pew Research Center found that only 11% of respondents reported that they disapproved of interracial marriage. On the other hand, research from the University of Washington suggests that reported acceptance of interracial marriage masks deeper feelings of discomfort, even disgust, that some people feel but won't admit to feeling about mixed-race couples. A study published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology found that hidden biases against interracial couples can lead to discrimination and dehumanization. Even in 2021, Many interracial couples face mockery and scorn. This came out in many of the interviews. Here are Will and Marissa. Do you want to share your dating experiences with other families? Oh, yeah, yeah.
10: I have, like, growing up, like, I've had grandparents not want to shake my hand. They just look at me and walk up to me and I say, hello, I'm Will, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so's boyfriend. They just shake their head and walk away or... Uh, one of the most interesting experiences was before I was dating her, I met somebody else's parents for the first time. And we sat down at the dinner table and I was just like speaking like we're speaking now, having a good conversation. And they just were silent after I got done telling the story. And I was like, oh, did I say something wrong? And out of nowhere, they were just like, wow, like you are so articulate. You speak very well, and they just went on and on about like how kind and well spoken and I'm not what they expected was and I was just like, "What did you expect me to be?" <laughs> I was like uh, like the, all people of color don't act the same way, all like white people, or whoever they don't act a certain way like it, diversity is a good thing, and I can be well spoken or I can be another way and it'd still be okay, but they just I guess didn't expect me to be well spoken and articulate because they had some preconceived notion about
11: what someone like who looks like me would talk and speak like or act like.
0: Emmanuel had similar experiences.
11: I had plenty of girls tell me in high school, like, yeah, my dad says I can't date black people, but he said, you know, As, if it were Emmanuel, it would be fine. And like, literally meaning that, they thought it was a compliment. And then I'm like, I don't know how to respond to this. I'm like, thank you, I think. <laughs> um, you know, and it's... I don't know, it it opened my eyes.
0: Army and Chell told me that in the beginning of their relationship, the way many people reacted to the news that they were dating was offensive.
12: For me, like um, the earlier years, like in the 2000s, like uh, when we first met, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Dominicans, they always think, oh, you're loud and you're ghetto and stuff like that. (laughs) So um, whenever I would meet, of like people um and I would talk, you know, converse about my personal life. I'm like, yeah, I have this awesome girlfriend. And they're like, oh, so she's, you know, probably like this awesome Hispanic like yourself and like wild and crazy. And it's like, no, she's actually Asian. And then when I said Asian, it's like, oh, Asian. I don't know. It kind of made me feel a certain way. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah. of that that was like the kind of like bias that I got what would you have wanted people to say if anything like not seem so surprised just take it as it is like oh okay you guys are beautiful two women who love Mm -hmm. each other
4: yeah
12: you know and like oh that's interesting you have this culture and, and like you're in this culture you're part of this culture but not like ask act so surprised like like when it's like a black Uh, individual dating a white individual, sometimes you get looks. So we kind of got that feeling. In a way. In a way. Mm -hmm. But not with the looks, but more like the reaction.
9: (laughs) Right,
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. Melinda Hale and John Volk cited several instances where reactions to their being together were overtly discriminatory, even hostile.
14: In that first year or so that we were in Chicago, I can think of a couple instances where we would get called out for being together. But what was odd to me is the, the couple times that I, that come to mind, they were all black men who were upset with her for being with me. And I, and to me, it's like, it's, it puts, I mean, it obviously puts everyone in a weird situation in a, in a weird, you know, um, um, in a weird place, but especially for, for me to be like, well, I, can I talk to you like, you know, like, can I, can I call you out for that stuff? It's a, it's an odd thing. I remember the first time when she had visited Chicago and she wasn't quite living with Mm -hmm. me at at that time. um, There was a taxi driver who pulled out, who like pulled in front of us. And it was just, it was a a guy of color and he's like, you need to change your tune sister. I was like, and then he drove off. and I was like, what did he
2: mean? Mm -hmm. You know, like,
14: Oh, that's an interesting, Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah and that's like and that's something to me that was just completely that's just like being thrown into things because again it's it's so much of being white is not realizing if yeah. you're the default of everything i like why do i have to pay you, yeah, have, to, you have to be personally affected is, by something right. unless you're really extraordinarily perceptive right
8: yeah
0: yeah, and, th- and it sounds like those were new experiences for you, John. Were those new experiences for you, Melinda, or had you had Not that? at all.
8: Not at all. My experiences, just, you know, dating black men or dating white men or dating just any race. Like, I, I've dated a bunch of races before I had met John, is that I will say uh, the kind of like the vitriol that I've met with dating white men from black men is very, very abrupt. But then the racism that I've experienced from like white families or white friends has been always very subtle, just like the little things that they would say. We'll talk about you later. That's what it felt like though, you know? (laughs) But yeah, it wasn't anything new for me at all, at all. And then it's hard to navigate too, because when you're, you're happy, and then here's this random stranger that's like trying to encourage upon your happiness for no reason.
0: External biases can and do encroach on the happiness of many couples. According to statistics by Bramlett and Mosher, 41% of interracial couples divorce after 10 years, whereas only 31% of same-race spouses divorce. It can be difficult to navigate married life even with support, but it becomes especially stressful when it feels as if others want you to fail. This applies to societal stigmas and to the individuals that comprise society, especially to our circles of support, like family and friends. Ashley and Emmanuel really appreciated the way they've been received by one another's families.
11: I actually was just talking with her family about this, what, maybe four weeks ago, six weeks ago. And I've never told them, but I I was like, I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate since the first moment we met, like the way that they've always interacted with me has been on a person level. You know, I've had friends or, you know, dated girls who, their family, they interact with me based how they think I want to be interacted with based on what they think black people enjoy. And so, you know, it was was nice knowing, because, right, like you can hit it off with somebody, but you also need to be able to blend in with their family for it to be a great relationship. And so, you know, from the first time I met them, I was like, nice.
0: Was it the other way around? Like, Ashley, did you have that experience with Emmanuel's family as well? Or Yeah.
15: I mean, I they've always completely accepted me. I think maybe your mom was a little surprised at um, how quickly I took on to eating Ghanaian food.
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, but, exactly. <laughs>
15: <laughs> but no, I, we've never had any problems. Like, they always just make me feel completely accepted and loved. And I, I feel like we're so lucky.
0: Nikki said it came as a relief to be embraced and included by Ben's family, especially his mother.
3: Before I met her, uh, uh, his mom, I was so nervous about that. Said, if she doesn't like me, I'm Asian. Uh, 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 if I, I, I can't understand her language, uh, 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 she would give me trouble, blah, blah, blah. blah. But I got the trick is Evan the her favorite grandson. She he fell in love with me. Uh, as soon as I saw, uh, I saw him, she, he gave me a hug immediately. He never gave anybody stranger any hug. He just fell in love with me immediately. And then since then, his mom just sent me immediately because she said, oh, the baby likes you. That means that you are very lucky.
0: Ben pointed out that based on her experience of having been rejected by her husband's family, his mother had a lot of empathy for her future daughter-in-law. Here's the thing.
2: My mom would have accepted me because, you know, my mom went through not being accepted, you know, and and not having the, the benefit of building, you know, relationships with a larger group of people.
3: He has very good form.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Very, very good form.
0: My mom's cool. My mom's cool. Malin's mother took a little longer to warm up to the new woman in her son's life, although it may have had less to do with Sarah's race or culture and more to do with her propensity for public displays of affection.
4: For me, like the biggest thing that we had tension on was actually when I first met your mom.
5: Yeah.
4: (laughs) So the thing you should know about Malin's mom is she is fierce and formidable. And she'll let you know when you first meet her that she is fierce. And formidable. Right. And it's something to love and admire about her and to fear. And the first time she met me, she decided she did not like me. And I did not completely understand why. And that was hard. (laughs) And and now she's decided that she likes me. And I still don't know why. (laughs) But I'm cool with it.
6: But right, right. it's
4: one of those things where like that was probably the hardest. Right it was and I think part of it is like where your mom was coming from was that she wanted to lay the ground rules. She wanted right. to, to let me know that she was the one who was calling the shots right. and that I was not in charge here. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think that part was cultural. Like it she is, wanted it be is, very, uh, very upfront. My place right. is not her place.
5: I think, I think it is more a, no, no, that's, that is definitely, I agree with that. Definitely, definitely uh, a, a cultural thing. So, um, you know, uh, we were dating and then uh, um, I think um, my mom and dad, are from, you know, uh, India and they, they were uh, visiting my brother who was in California and uh, we decided like you know it's a time let's go and and uh, have an introduction and all those things i've been telling my parents that i've been dating and and uh, uh, so the cultural difference out here i'll tell you is the you know uh, as a couple you hold your hands oh
6: yeah and oh, and and, I got and, in a yeah,
5: and you kiss each other and and and, and you do, not do you do idea. not you do not do that culturally in front of elders in other cultures, including India. And, uh, she she told me I'll go
4: up and I'll, I'll like pat one's back or like I'll rub his shoulder or I'll put my head on his shoulder. These things are not okay. And these uh, things are incredibly, incredibly promiscuous and I'm an awful shameful
5: woman. (laughs)
4: No, So for it, it's, it is
5: like, uh, uh, she, her words again i'm i'm going to get lost in translation out here because she told me in a different language <laughs> she was like you have to be modest in front of uh, uh, your elders and you know. uh, modesty is defined differently for different people right so that was definitely a cultural uh, cultural yeah, thing that and that was the reason that she was little you know uh, she didn't have problem that she was American. She didn't have problem that she's six feet tall, uh, you know. And she didn't have problem with she being taller than uh, her son. She didn't have problem that uh, she had a kid uh, from a from a previous <laughs> relationship. She didn't have problems with anything, but she had problems with you guys are holding hands in front of me. Yeah. You guys are kissing in front I of me.
0: Yeah, and that was the reason that, that she
5: she didn't what? like her. That she didn't like her in the in the beginning.
0: Will's family was open to him dating interracially, but it wasn't their preference.
10: I grew up in a predominantly white area, and so uh, my parents were just like my dad always said like I knew where I raised you. So, and my mom was like, I knew the area I raised you in. So like, obviously I'd probably want you to marry or date somebody who's black, but, Growing up in the area you grew up in, you probably – you wouldn't marry somebody that's that's black because there weren't that many black people to date around there. So you probably grew up dating more white people than black people. And so, like, when it came around, I had dated some some white uh, women along the way. And so when Rissa came along, it wasn't, like, a surprise. It wasn't, like, this huge culture shock thing. They were just like, oh, okay. Like, maybe not what I preferred, but, like, we love her. She's great. I mean, how can you not like her?
0: And Marissa's family didn't realize their biases until Marissa dated someone from another race.
9: I think the opposite's like true for me. I grew up in like a small town in Western Maryland, and the majority of dating relationships I had been in were with white men um, and like will said, I feel like my family just like assumed I would end up with a white man one day to marry um so It was a shock to my family when I was like, hey, I met this guy in college, his name's Will, he's black. (laughs) Um, Like definitely was total shock to my family. Um, But I think at the same time though, it was really good for them because I don't think they realized it was going to be a shock to them until like the words were like coming out of my mouth. Um, Because I think if you would have asked my family even before... Meeting Will, if like, hey, like, how do you feel if Marissa, you know, dated another race or how do you feel about other races? Like, I truly believe they would be like, great, everything's fine. Like, we don't have a problem. Um, But I think it was till it was like in their home, like their own home and their family. I think Mm -hmm. that's when they recognize, oh, like, I'm feeling some discomfort and I'm feeling like some concerns. And I don't like that I feel that, but I do. Um, which again I think is a blessing that they were just able to articulate that and freely say it, but also recognize that they knew what they were feeling was wrong. If that makes sense.
0: Marissa's family did the work. They confronted their biases, moved beyond them, and came to realize that they had a lot in common with Will. First and foremost, their faith.
9: Ever since I was a little girl, it's like I'm gonna marry. Someone who, like, believes in God, who um, follows Jesus with his whole heart, and um, just a quality of, I always, like, had and wanted um, to see that in the person I ended up marrying, um, and, and and even dating. But um, But I really think, like, going back to my family, I really think if my family didn't have faith, I feel like it would be... very different story I think because um they recognize feelings that they had were not right and they really wanted to change and they knew that like God really had to change their heart um and he did which is really cool um
10: yeah, And that's something like they've even said to me. They're like, you know, like, I didn't trust you right away. I really had a hard time. and But God done a lot of work on my heart. And like, yeah, like some of their family, her family members would like literally go meet with their pastor weekly to like, just try to flesh out, like, why do I feel this way? I know this is not honoring to God. It's not honoring to people. Like, help me get rid of this part of me because I know I want to do the right thing. So I thought that was a big deal.
0: Chris and Anna Marie have faith in common as well. What they didn't have in common were their experiences of family. I think
16: um, experiencing uh, her father's side of the family, the African American uh, side of the family in New Orleans, um, gave me a better sense of family. Um, you know, I grew up in a small family and and my father wasn't around very much, it was my mother and myself. But, um, you know, being down there, a lot of the cousins and Aunts and uncles—they're all local, and they get together, and they they share stories, and they have you know barbecues, and and that sort of family gathering, that family connection—you um, know—I didn't feel that was a little new to me, and I don't know if that's you know typically African American or not, but I, that was one you know part that I thought was really nice, and and that they they welcomed me into that sort of family gathering with open arms, which was really heartwarming.
0: John's family had some early fears that were easily allayed. I
14: think for parents in general, it's more of, you don't want your kids to face discrimination or to just like to to be, you know, to to, to hurt in any capacity, right? Um, So my mom, my my mother's initial misgivings were like, what are they going to, are they going to be, you know, are they going to suffer harm from this stuff? um and then her her partner kind of put to to bed you know those concerns saying like they're going to live, wherever they're going to stay they're going to be in like a new york or los angeles where it's much more diverse than what you're right, thinking right. um so that 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 was you know that was good for her i will say i had um a, a grandfather who upon learning that we were engaged said oh the the colored girl and then my father goes yeah, she's, she's, you know, black. And he goes, oh, that's too bad. Well, you know, kids will be in love.
0: John's grandfather's initial gut level reaction was unequivocally racist. At the same time, his reaction sprung out of what he had been conditioned to believe and was a product of the time in which he was raised. But times are changing. What was once taboo is now fairly ordinary. Perhaps that's why for some of the couples, Race was never an issue. Here's a short message from our episode sponsors, without whose support the Demystifying Diversity podcast wouldn't be possible. There are some things we don't want to think about, like our own mortality. But it's important now more than ever, especially if we have people who we love and who rely on us. We need to make sure that those people are taken care of. If you've listened to previous Demystifying Diversity podcast episodes, you've heard me rave about Lavin and Associates. In addition to their free financial needs analysis, owners John and Patty Lavin offer low-cost term life insurance. With their guidance and support, I made a solid, easy, and actionable financial plan, which included my life insurance needs. Please contact them especially now. It's the most loving thing you can do for yourself and for those you care about. To receive a free quote on low-cost term life insurance or a free financial needs analysis or both, call John at 610-453-2331 or email johnlavin at me.com. That's J-O-N-L-A-V-I-N at me.com. And as long as we're on the subject of doing things for yourself and your loved ones, I really want to tell you about next level trainings. Whatever your struggles, finances, career, relationships, next level trainings will vastly and quickly improve the quality of your life. The company uses experiential, emotional intelligence exercises to help you see yourself as you are, shift your perspective, and start forming sustainable habits that will transform your life, and by extension, your community and the world. In a supportive environment, you'll come to see yourself and others through a more open, powerful, and freeing lens. I did the trainings, and I sent my mom, my sister, a couple of my aunts, and so many friends. I basically want everyone to go because I can say from my own firsthand experience and from what I've witnessed in my loved ones that the trainings increase people's capacity for love, connection, and vulnerability. The trainings empower us to go for what we want in life and give us the tools to achieve our dreams. If we don't let go of what's holding us back and create the lives we want now, When will we do it? I can't recommend next-level trainings enough. And the company is offering demystifying diversity podcast listeners $50 off on Shift, their introductory virtual training even more value to their offer, if you register for and attend the SHIFT online training now, you'll receive a free voucher to their in-person discovery training valued at $495. The voucher can be used when pandemic gathering restrictions lift. So go to nextleveltrainings.com diversity. That's nextleveltrainings with an S dot com slash diversity and enter the promo code diversity. You'll be glad you did. Here are Elizabeth and Thomas again. See who he is,
6: but we both like to run.
0: And I found out
6: that he was interested in doing things like ceramics and pottery, which was a plus. He came from a, a family with a lot of kids, which is great. Gets along with his parents, which is great. And um, I, I didn't look at race any more deep in that. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it could come up later if there were issues with his family, but there weren't.
7: Yeah, and I think that was that was it too. Her her parents, as I said, you know, her mom's been here, been in Canada for ninety four years. Her dad, you know, was born nineteen seventeen. My my parents their grandparents came over. Well, I should say my dad. So it's really kind of the same story, just in different places. Vancouver and New York. You know, my family's from New York, first in Vancouver. You know, city, go to suburbs. Really, our stories are kind of the same. We both come from um, pretty, you know, I'm from seven, she's from four. Uh, kind of, we grew up in the same time frame. Our parents treated us the same. Our backgrounds are very similar as
0: Army and Chell had similar backgrounds too. Did both of your parents immigrate to the yes. US? Mm-hmm. Yes.
12: Yeah. Yes. So like, uh, what do they call uh, first, first generation Filipino. I'm first generation Hispanic. Yeah. yeah. Dominican. Yeah. I'm first generation Dominican. My dad was born here, but my mom, she came here. So I'm first generation Dominican. I'm, you know, Hispanic. Yeah. I mean
0: I think that there is like I I was interviewing someone who was an expert on immigration and he was telling me that like you know really it's a very self-selecting process like you get like people who can manage to like immigrate to another country and make it and start a life like are super innovative super motivated hardworking, like you know just like have a lot of like grit and ability to like get through difficult things and difficult challenges and I think like I'm imagining that that, like, trickles out into the, the parenting, too, and, like, imparting those values to your kids.
6: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, That's definitely. Mm-hmm.
12: Yeah. And also, like, it kind of trickles down to our, our relationship. Like, yeah, we mm-hmm. depend on each other, but also we don't take ourselves granted, and we appreciate ourselves even more individually mm-hmm. as a whole. You know, I know like a lot of couples um, or some um, maybe they might take their love for granted. And it's like, you know, we we always try to find ways to even work hard in our relationship and not Mm -hmm. try to get too comfortable. Like, yeah, we're, we're ourselves, but, you know. Uh, it's like okay like uh it's been a while I haven't been so romantic lately so what can I do <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like how can I be hard working <laughs> <laughs> so, how can I spark things up so you know it kind of trickles down to that like finding that individuality like um being independent mm-hmm. but also coming together as a whole and I think like it stems down to the cup like the the couple and the The parents,
0: and then it trickles down to the kids. Whether couples had a lot in common or not, being together exposed them to different ways of thinking, different cultures, and ideas. Because members of many racial and ethnic minorities tend to be exposed to white, heteronormative models and examples, it was often the most eye opening for the white spouse to have their perspective expanded by the person of color.
16: Being a white male, I don't realize that I don't have to think about certain things until I interact with people of other ethnicities, who explain their life experiences, whether it be our friends, or whether it be patients in the office that I've engaged, or our family members and experience it firsthand. And I'm, then you know, the light goes off in my head. I'm like, oh gosh, the fact that I've never had to think about these things means that I have a white privilege, and being able to uh experience Anna Marie's family, you know, spending time with them and, and learning what their lives are like and hearing stories about, you know, issues that they have and being in New Orleans in a predominantly, you know, black section of town, I just feel like I I understand my role in society a little bit more and what privilege I have and how that uh, you sort of um uh, I, I should be encouraged. I should. Uh, it sort of pushes me to be a little bit more responsible about what privilege I have.
14: One of the huge benefits is just seeing, you know, getting a, a broader view of life.
0: A great illustration of the beauty and richness that can come from interracial and or cross-cultural marriages is Sarah and Malin's wedding. Or should I say weddings?
4: What was um wedding so nice we did it thrice <laughs> so we we had our legal wedding which was to speed up citizenship in the code of chicago
5: so that I get my paperwork done yeah.
4: and um then after that we wanted to do ceremonies that were literally that were for celebrating that we're married <laughs> <laughs> um, and those ones were incredibly personal so at first we, um, at first we had the the Hindu wedding and the, the reason for that was to kind of, quite frankly, honor his mother, that she felt, Malin's mom is very, very Hindu and she's very devoutly Hindu. She goes on pilgrimages. She prays for us. She gives us idols. She makes sure that we are set, that, you know. God's watching out for us. She she really, really wants to make sure that we're doing all right. And um, so having the Hindu ceremony was kind of a way of honoring that. And um, one of the things that I didn't know before we got married was like literally anything to expect. Like <laughs> I I didn't get to try on the the wedding dress, like literally until a week before we got married, because we literally just took my measurements and gave them to his mom. And she picked out my dress. She picked out my from India, from from India. India, she picked out everything. It was gorgeous. And she did a great job. But it was one of those things where like, I had no idea what to expect. I kept on asking Lynn. So like, what is going to happen during our wedding like what are we gonna do like what should we like what are we and he's like i don't know i'm like didn't you do this before I'm like what do you mean you don't know
5: so that's that's another thing so indian indian uh indian weddings and hindu weddings are are uh, so chaotic like there's so many things going on with so many people
4: so they and, usually go on for weeks and we had ours kind of trunk down to just like a few hours. And so we were going through like everything kind of at warp speed and nobody kind of knew what to do during the ceremony. Literally, part, wait, literally halfway through our, our wedding. Somebody goes up to me and is like, so we, you need to have a brother. I'm like, I'm an only child. What do you mean I need to have a brother? Like, just just pick someone. Just brotherly figure, you know. Just pick someone. I'm like, what? Wait, why did you need a brother? What was the role of the brother in the servant?
5: So in the in the Hindu ceremony, what you, what you do is just that uh, uh, a husband and a wife sits in, in, in front of a fire, right? And then uh, uh, they tie uh, the knot to their dress, uh, whatever they are wearing, they tie the knot, literally tie the knot, and they move around the fire seven times, promising seven different things. Well, like, it's you know,
4: represents, it represents kind of the way that you move through your life as a married couple. Kind of like, that you, you know, I'm not hurt. going
5: to cheat on you. I'm going to take care of a family. I'm going to, you know, blah blah you blah. You make blah, promises
4: blah. to each other on how you're going to move through your life together, and it's actually really beautiful ceremony.
5: Right, and you do this seven times. It says that you know it is like uh, uh, Hindus believe in rebirth, right? And and you you move around seven times, promising seven different things. And and the significance is this that you are promising that you are going to be together. For next seven births, yeah. just not this 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 particular life,
6: yeah,
5: and the role of the brother is this that uh, the 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 brother so so growing up, if you have a brother, brother is the one who's taking care of you and
4: protects you as
5: a sister and protects you yeah. and brother is the one who wants to make sure that you are going to a right person so the when you when when a husband and a wife gets up to take that uh, seven different steps around the fire, brother comes out and stops me, stops the husband, saying that, Are you going to do what you're going to promise? Otherwise I'm going to literally break your legs. Yeah. So and and yeah. you know, I, I will say so no the brother. So, and 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 I'll say no I promise I'm going to take care of your sister and you know I promise that uh, uh I will do my husbandly duty and uh so yeah, uh, she needed a brother for somebody to come and stop me from marrying her. Yeah, and uh, so I was like, yeah, just pick up some brotherly, you know, cousin or something like that. <laughs> but okay. that was a, there was a thing about that, and uh, there are many things, as so I said. My cousin there,
4: Tyler was my brother.
5: So <laughs> thank you, Tyler. <laughs> so Tyler, Tyler Ty, Ty did it for us. There are many <laughs> things which are there. I mean, you know, as as she said that there is a literally a ceremony which goes on for entire day in Hindu weddings and it goes on for weeks together entire wedding and then like nobody has time for that shit, right? So
4: So there's uh, a joke that like if you if you want to short make your Hindu wedding shorter, you have to bribe the priest. You bribe the priest (laughs) (laughs) And then the joke is, so how much does it cost to not have the wedding ceremony at all? You couldn't afford it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Meanwhile, the two of you had three weddings. So there were actually there were a lot of like great things that happened during the Hindu ceremony. So one of the traditions is that like they have to grab one's shoes and hide them. Yeah. So he can't leave. So my cousins still like giggle when they think about like grabbing and like hiding his shoes. <laughs> And um, what else? There was like there was the sheet yeah. where we weren't allowed to see each other for part of the ceremony. So they put up the sheet so that we can't see each other. I I'm and, like, kept on like peeking
6: around the corner of the sheet. <laughs> <That sounds laughs> and it's so beautiful, like it just yeah. so magical. Yeah. A lot of Yeah.
4: So then we had like a day between the the Hindu wedding and the American wedding. One day in between where we had the rehearsal. Oh
1: right.
4: So, so, so we have, we have this like typical rehearsal for like a white person wedding <laughs> where everybody like goes and like has their like defined <laughs> spots where they're supposed to stand and practices what they're supposed to say. And my <laughs> nephews are like, we had to practice this. My, my nephews,
5: my nephews. Yeah. Because So as I said, right, Hindu wedding is so chaotic. And, then, and, and there is a, there's a method to this madness. People like this chaos and all those things. Yeah. And uh, uh, American Christian weddings are so methodical. You, yeah. you have to stand there. You have to do this. You have to. And you my to nephews, yeah, my, uh, you have to bring the ring and, you know, all those things. And uh, so we had the rehearsal where you're supposed to rehearse. What are you what going you're to, 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 do to do for the wedding?
6: Yeah.
5: And my nephews were like, Melinda, uncle, did we need a practice for this? <laughs> like, we, we went to the Hindu wedding. We can do this by ice clothes, yes,
6: man. Come
0: on. Exposure to different cultures and customs enables us to find our true values. Here's Nikki speaking about how being with Ben has allowed her to become more open about her emotions.
3: That is Chinese saying too. Some, we have some feeling, we just hide it. We just put in your heart, you're not sewing. Mm. That's very inner things. It's not just a like Latin American. Oh, so nice to see you and hug and kiss, blah, blah. I love you, blah, blah. China, all your life, even to husband to wife say, I love you, maybe just five times, all day life. So it's, it's so big different. I, after marry him, special and say, I love you. I say, oh, when you say that, that's not bad. In China, seriously, I, I love you. It's very difficult. Not like you as oh, my coworker, worker especially the first time I listened to my co-worker, Nikki, I love you. I really love you. I was like, what? In my heart, I didn't say what outside. I say, as love I didn't say, say bad to her. I said, wow, you love me? It's that easy to say, I love you? And, and, and it really stopped me, I said, I, I know it's not a kind of relations love. It's just a co-workers love. But they when they say, they say even you. They say even Nikki, even you are mean to me, but I still love you. Say, oh my god! And then you start to used to. I know what they what they say is that they really mean me. They really like me and really love me. I say oh okay, that is not bad. And then I start to say I love you. Even I start to talk to I love you to my 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 uh China family now.
0: yeah
2: how have they received that how have they been with that Ben? yeah no no
0: not me how have they been okay how do do they accept
2: how does your chinese
3: i I don't talk to everybody like that but just science kind of my close friend talk to my girlfriend we are very close i told that because Mm -hmm. we hang out for 15 years 20 years already but we always know we care about each we love each but we never stay there Mm -hmm. so so, uh, one day is the May twenty. Yeah, this year May twenty, I start. I just text them, "I love you guys." They will take them for a while to support me because I think they are start to like my reaction. Say, oh, I love you," and then later they come. "I love you too. Thanks, thank you for all being with me so many years." I say, oh, and then and then. And later they would tell you, you are so American.
0: (laughs) A lot of couples cited their interracial marriage as a causative factor in their ability to share more openly, even when it could be uncomfortable.
14: It's instructive to examine your own biases no matter what. Obviously, personal experience, by far, probably the most meaningful, Mm -hmm. right? You can see it in a very visceral way. But you can start to, I think more than anything else, it's... How deeply embedded a lot of this stuff is, and I mean that by like, like when I look at something, board, huh? Across the board, like across yeah, the yeah, board yeah. in a in a very structural way. Yeah. And so, like, there, there, I don't think there is an end to the number of questions you can ask yourself on how, no matter every single daily walk of life, um, how how certain things have have arrived, and and you know, like how who. The, it, again, the question of who's benefiting from all of this,
6: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
14: Um, I think a lot of that is a symptom of the United States not reckoning with its own past.
2: I think uh, you know, if you want to grow and become someone who is actually a critical thinker, you need to challenge your
0: own beliefs and, and you need to do it all the time. Why challenge our beliefs and biases?
10: The gift it is just to be able to both uh, sides see each other from a different perspective. Like one of my favorite things is uh, my uncle and her dad. Her dad is um, this like short white guy about my height. And he's like from Cumberland, Maryland, like you're in the middle of nowhere. And, um, my uncle grew up in the hood in Philly and he his, we call him uh, big G and they like, I was like, it's a guy, he used to have dread. So they come together at the wedding and they're like the best of friends because they both connected through the military together. So, but in any other context, you wouldn't necessarily see these guys maybe hanging out and shooting the breeze and writing each other letters and messing each other on Facebook. But it's so cool because we got together. Our families are able to come together like that from way different backgrounds and have some really special friendships that may have never happened before. People never thought they would have had things in common. So, yeah.
6: Yeah.
9: And I think, I mean, he probably kind of said it, but like, just like the awareness, um, I feel like we have the opportunity to be aware of so many things surrounding race and like being an interracial couple. Um, And I think you mentioned this before that, Like, it's very, like, shocking when you realize people haven't been exposed to, like, certain experiences or certain people or certain backgrounds. So, we have that opportunity. And and we have a place to talk about it. Like, I feel like we – as scary and, like, as nerve-wracking it can be to have some of these really hard conversations, it's also, like, an opportunity to be invited into those conversations and have people – be real with you
12: i think um it it kind of allowed us to beat the stereotype and be like okay this is what you think of us well no we're gonna show our love the way we see it
13: and yeah. it, it actually helped us become stronger and mm-hmm. be and, and yeah rather than fitting into like you know the boxes like oh like army is asian so she's a nurse and she's this and she's that like kind of like how society sees me and you know check 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 and oh michelle is Chell is is dominican puerto rican and there's like and then yeah. there's like all these all like these. oh is she gonna really get a master's
12: degree no and by the way i'm almost done with my mba yeah so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yes so <Eso. laughs>
4: yeah
9: but but so what also,
12: does that mean what is it what is so means like whippa like like it's like a thing like like gay. A, like gay like in a hispanic thing like you're celebrating stuff like 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 it's so wepa okay so you thought
13: differently of me well okay <laughs> yeah so here's your stereotypes and you can keep it <laughs> Well, and I love that,
0: Chell, you said a word, and ARMY, you knew what it was. Like, that even just, like, it, you know, clearly there's some, like, overlapping in areas of food and maybe language and whatever that just, like, becomes a natural part of the interplay and the relationship. And, like, that's so rich to me. And you might not even necessarily be aware of it because it's just, like, such a part of the relationship.
13: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Definitely the food.
8: Yeah, the
12: food. The food. If, if it wasn't the food, I don't know. I don't if know. We, I don't know if we'd be together. Nah.
0: <laughs> food came up in almost every interview. There were places
2: that we would look like like Chengdu. You know, I know right now they're talking about closing the Embassy. In the embassy in Chengdu, but we, we had stopped as a layover in Chengdu, and Chengdu is the place where hot pot was have you ever had hot pot? Oh, oh it's great it's like the, it's like kind of like a soup and it depends on spicy or not spicy whatever and they give you all these ingredients and you basically boil the soup and cook the food in it and it's uh it's ridiculously good it's really really good so Chengdu is the you know the the birthplace of the hot pot supposedly Chengdu
3: and Chongqing.
2: And Chongqing, Chongqing, yeah i
9: think biggest thing for me is food like the differences and types of food that's eaten especially like around holidays um like like Thanksgiving, for example. I remember our first Thanksgiving together. You know, I've, I never had eaten collard greens or seen what that looked like or what they smelled like.
10: Baked macaroni and cheese. Yeah, I've
9: never had, like, mac- macaroni and cheese at the Thanksgiving table. Though I love macaroni and cheese, so I don't know, like, why not? Um, <laughs> I, remember, I remember I brought uh, mashed potatoes to dinner and everyone's like mashed potatoes like what's this like and i'm the only one that ate them which is fine but just like learning like those differences it seems like very simple but yeah has never exposed like different types of food around the holidays
10: one of the funniest moments we've had was when i went and had thanksgiving and christmas with her family and her um her stepmom went out of her way to look up a soul food recipe for baked macaroni and cheese on the internet. And so we were sitting down at the table and like out came mashed potatoes and whatever food people normally have. And then all of a sudden, like the last thing that got placed right in front of me at the table, I'm like, oh, what's going here? And it's like, boom. But like soul food, baked macaroni and cheese made by her mom. She was like, that's right, I did it. And I was like, yes, that is awesome. So it was just it was just a cool moment. Like we it's not like we don't we shy away from our differences. Like fully embraced it. We know that like Will likes the macaroni and cheese. So we're gonna go out this way to make sure that food and stuff is there.
13: Well we definitely I definitely like to go out to eat. Like that's one of my big things when I go out with my family, with my friends. So um, I introduced her to sushi for the first time. Mm-hmm and um she was like she was kind of like turned off over the whole like raw fish thing but then i convinced (laughs) her i was like okay we'll get something cooked and then she was like she saw the wasabi and she was because she's hispanic she thinks oh it's it's avocado so she was about to put the whole thing in her mouth and i stopped her (laughs) so (laughs) but it would have been interesting if she if i didn't stop her if i wasn't so aware but um yeah i think i think the two of us the way we explore our culture and other people's culture is through the food. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, when we go out traveling, we really want to, you know, explore like the street food or, mm-hmm. you know, different types of cuisine and, you know, something totally like random mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's something that we, we find adventurous.
12: Yeah. And yeah. like through the whole process of like open up, opening up my palates, like I realized that, Asian food is kind of similar to our food, too. So in a way, it's kind of like Caribbean food, mm-hmm. like the way they cook it. Um, mm-hmm. So and then it kind of helped me realize like, OK, so what about African food? So we cook tostones, They we cook benil, we cook like, um, you know, uh, roast pig. Like that's really big in the Asian culture as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yep we realized like how our culture kind of tied together through food and then like just imagine how other cultures are tied together as well.
15: I guess I would just say getting to learn more about your heritage and culture and getting to enjoy like Canadian food, Lebanese food. I talk about food a lot. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the third time I've talked about food. Um, <laughs> you like food. <laughs> like, I think that's nice. I think that's awesome. And I, I would never have had those types of experiences. And all of his family is so nice and they're so welcoming. Um, and the food is definitely a good bonus.
0: But food can be about so much more than food, as Sarah and Melinda pointed out. And relationships are about more than culture and race.
4: So Malin when we were dating, he um he made sure that I tried Indian food and I liked Indian food. <laughs> he played Indian music, made sure that I liked Indian music. <laughs> he, but but I cooked though. I didn't make her cook. That's true. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't make me cook. Sure. He um he made sure that um I kind of understood where he was coming from and that I understood what his values were, not what they should be based on his culture, but what his values actually are.
5: So, you know, at some point, uh, I I think, I I personally think that uh, you belong to a race, you belong to a culture, you belong to a religion, but uh, I think uh, it transforms into a personality you 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 are an individual i'm milan and she is sarah i'm not milan from india or sarah from america right yeah. we love each other because we love milan and sarah and and every time you have to remember yourself i, I think this is what has helped me and uh, it's like the girl whom you have fallen in love with always remember <laughs> uh you know the the girl who who you have who fallen in love with. And she's the same girl. She has yeah. not changed. The time has changed. The circumstances has changed. But Sarah is Sarah, and Melinda is Melinda.
0: Sarah concurred. She told me she thought it was essential not to see people as representatives, but as a rich collection of intersectional identities, influences, experiences, and perspectives.
4: A lot of it is just like, you have to get to a point where I, I don't know if you guys have seen, um, there's a movie called Frida. Um, one of the things that she says in the movie is, I can't love him for anything that he's not. And whenever like, I'm getting frustrated, I remind myself right. of that. Like, I gotta love you for what you are. Right. I, I can't love you for anything that you're not.
0: Loving people for who they are requires seeing them for who they are and not superimposing our own judgments onto individuals or groups. This is something society tends to get very wrong. I
6: think even as our country gets older and older and and generations go past, we still make assumptions about people based on the way that they look. And I don't think anyone's immune to that. I mean, we do it. People do it to us and they have no idea where you're coming from unless they talk to you and ask you what your background is, what your interests are, what kind of food you eat.
0: (laughs) Getting to know people and moving beyond incorrect assumptions requires more representation, visibility, and allyship.
15: That's why it's important for white people to be stepping up and trying to do something to help because it can't,
0: mm-hmm. it
15: can't just be this like continual burden on marginalized people to do everything. Like we have to use our privilege to try, just like try. It's, it's really difficult to know what to do and where to start, but like we have to try.
0: Ashley is someone who has used her privilege and her platform to be vocal about racial injustice. She understands that although she can never entirely understand or empathize with the struggles her husband has faced as a person of color, it's important to be mindful and to learn and grow. But I also wonder if in some ways it kind of brings the two of you closer together as a couple, like in Mm -hmm. some ways, because there is a lot of, you know, like mutual care. You use the word care, but there's like a mutual care and consideration. I wonder if it kind of makes you more vigilant about the other person's
8: experience
0: Mm -hmm. in a
15: way. Yeah. For sure.
11: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like the fact that, the fact that she's, I mean, that's like, you know, that's, that's interracial relationship one-on-one, right? You, uh, cause it's, it's just, it can't survive in this kind of climate without that type of mutual understanding it definitely does strengthen the relationship because you don't you don't have to have, you don't ever have to worry about the other person's intentions if you know they're thinking about things like that then you know that they're always thinking about you
0: Will has become more vocal about the discrimination he's faced and he's used his role as a pastor at a well-regarded and highly inclusive church to facilitate reconciliation and education in charged racial situations
10: I think because of some of my previous experiences and the people I've been able to speak to and process with, like I haven't, I've gone through some of the grieving and the hurt and some of the stuff that comes along with it. And so I I currently am in a good place with it. And so I can speak about it. I can teach about it a little bit. I'm not, an expert by any means but there's some people who the wound is too fresh the wound is still very deep and uh it still hurts so much that you can't speak or teach about it so and that's an okay place to be too so i just encourage those people to keep healing keep coming to the place keep talking to somebody that will help you process and get to a better place so then if you feel called to step up and say something and help other people along the way you can do that but like so that's not what i like to do is not for everybody but for me like i love having genuine conversations about people i'm i'm at the place where if someone says something that's ignorant or lack of a better word stupid or it might hurt some other people i'm like you know what like that's not about me like i I can remove myself i'm like they just don't know any better and sometimes they do know better and then that's a whole other conversation but like for the most part i haven't lately run into any circles where it's just like someone's blatantly saying something because they're hurtful and trying to dig at me it's mostly because they don't understand and they want to learn so it's been cool because ever since the george floyd stuff and everything we've seen in the news recently so many people have like reached out and just wanted to learn and so i've had like experiences where like one of my favorite ones where i got the my friends a a youth pastor in lancaster and his congregation and his youth group population is legitimately like 99 percent all bro white kids. And it was cool because some of them actually expressed that they have had racist or bigoted thoughts in, in their hearts and in their minds. And they wanted to have someone come in and speak to them about like why they might feel a certain way and why it might be wrong. So they like, hey, would you come and speak to our youth group about it? So I had an opportunity to jump on a Zoom call with their youth leaders and just talk about some of my personal experiences and field some questions from the teenagers. And knowing some of them, probably thought had some racist thoughts and thought poorly of me. But even if it was just one thing that I said that could have changed that young person's heart uh, was a big deal. Because, I mean, imagine if anybody would acknowledge it at a young age that they would have have these thoughts. Like part of the problem, part of the progress comes when you just acknowledge it.
0: Will also told me about another meaningful experience he had not too long ago.
10: I kind of post up on my social media page. And uh, one of the most powerful responses was, a guy a friends with or acquaintance with who is from a predominantly white area who reached out to me and I don't talk to them I count on one hand, how often I've talked to this person, but he's from an older generation. And he, he reached out and was like, Hey, your post, your personal experience, you making it human to me. I, I can connect with that. Cause I know you, I wouldn't want anybody to, to treat you like that. And one of the things um, I said in the post was that whenever me and my brother would play on the playground when we were younger, um, some people would be like, "Hey, like, don't touch me. Your black will rub off on me," kind of thing. And so he like got on the phone with me and was just like, "Hey, like, uh, thank you so much for sharing. And we don't talk often, but I read that and I just could really relate to that because, like, I know Will. I wouldn't want anybody to speak to Will like that. And like, I just know you're such a kind person. But I also related to it in the sense that whenever I was younger and I was on the playground, I was that white kid saying that to other people. And to think that my words could impact a grown man so many years later uh it just really hit me in my heart so i'm sorry that i was that person not for you but for somebody else and thank you for sharing because it it put everything into like a humane perspective for me and so like that was probably one of my most powerful conversations i got to have it was like just a a guy who was probably 20 years older than me
0: wow that's so meaningful and also like it really speaks to your character too, because I think sometimes when people admit to having these types of feelings, like very often they're made wrong, like right, like there there's this feeling of like, well, you're a horrible person, or how dare you feel that way, or whatever. And like, so I think people don't often like they don't share with each other um, and like have those those moments. Be and and also they they can be uncomfortable, but like they can also
8: be really restorative. I think too.
10: Oh, a hundred percent. Even with family. I mean, just, I had a conversation with some family members the last time we went to go visit. And one of the things that was just so powerful to me is they are just saying how, you know what, like whenever you wrote your, your post, it really struck a chord with me because I don't want ever anyone to ever think about a family member of mine like that. And then they're sure, tr- like basically like, I wrote a letter about all the different experiences I've had with like racism in America. And then someone else that's also a person of color that goes to their church. The pastor actually stood up in this predominantly white church and read their letter about all their experiences in their own hometown in front of the whole congregation. He was like, between that letter and your letter, I I love you to death. I love you. Like you're one of my own family. And if someone wants to, you want to go March, like I will go March with you. If you want, want me to say uh, your black life matters, like I will, I will tell anybody that you're black life matters. Like, I love you. I'll take a bullet for you. So it was like a whole full circle moment to see like my own family members come around go from, I don't know how I feel about black lives matter. I don't know how I feel about X, Y, and Z, but now it's just like, you know what? I see you and it's okay. Like your black life matters.
1: Hi, this is Anna Marie. Dara, Lisa, and I thank you for tuning in to the demystifying diversity podcast. We'd love to hear your voices on topics of diversity. So join in on the conversation by calling 844-888-8148 and leave us a message or drop us a note through the website, www.DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com, and we'll do our best to answer your question during our Q&A episodes.
0: In order to get to the place of actual progress, we have to look towards where we're going, acknowledge where we are and reflect on where we've been. Melinda Hale and John Volk make a special point of commemorating the yearly anniversary of the Loving decision.
8: We celebrate Loving Day every, every year, you know, when um, Richard and Mildred Loving were able to get married, right? And I found out this fact um, when I, we posted a picture, it, it happens 19 years before we were even born. That's crazy to me.
0: How do you celebrate? I just
8: do a long post about it because a lot of people don't even know that it's a thing and I just can talk a little bit about our relationship and you know we're just grateful that we're able to be together and I think people were very surprised that it was only 53 years ago and again like I said 19 years before we were born so um I I just like to share little pieces of the information and people don't even know that it was a case or a problem I mean I had somebody right? I and mean, you like, what? Interracial relationships were illegal? Yeah. I'm like, how did you not know that? You know? <laughs> like, you know? So yeah, I like to, to just educate on that day every, every year.
0: So we'll it's just... more like a public facing thing than a
8: private. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: We celebrate Monday day every day. <laughs> when Kamala Harris took office not too long ago, the daughter of Jamaican and Indian immigrants who identifies as Black, made history as the country's first female vice president, the first black vice president, and first vice president of Asian heritage. But there was another historically groundbreaking aspect to her entry into office. Harris and her husband, Douglas Craig Emhoff, a Jewish entertainment lawyer known to his friends and family as Doug, have become the first interracial couple At the highest reaches of the executive branch, their union has become a source of strength and significance for many, and a demonstration that a lot has changed since interracial couples were persecuted for their love. But as with all relationships, it's not the public-facing image that's most important. It's the private moments and the richness that's derived from the relationship itself. Their union is being celebrated by a small but growing segment of the u s population,
1: and for me, I just you know the thing that I cherish about being in a relationship it's any relationship for me would be multiracial right so um or multicultural or ethnic but um what i what I do like is that Chris and his family have embraced me and my family and that really softens any lines of prejudice or bias right because they're getting to know people for who they are rather than what they look like and that's really important
11: i'll specifically say like this is on a personal level but her dad i really respect him a lot just like his 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 dedication to their family and like just his hard work and like motivation, and. I mean it's it's not because interracial, but had I not married her, right, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be in her family and like have those inspirations between, you know, her dad, her mom, her grandparents, like her family. And so just just being open to the idea, right, of marrying someone outside of my immediate circle has, you know, enriched my life. You know, so much in the last six years. So
15: that's the part I can't imagine. Like if I hadn't been raised to only look for a partner who was gonna care for me and be nice to me and be a good support system, like if I had ever had any kind of boxes put around partners I could look for, like I could have potentially never met you. And like I can't even I can't even imagine I can't imagine what my <laughs> life would be like <laughs> without you. I just
7: love you so
15: much. I love
7: you too.
0: We can be the healing. We could be, be
2: the and the gun.
0: Thank you for listening to the Demystifying Diversity Podcast. If you'd like to join in the conversation, visit demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com or call 844 888 8148 and leave us a message. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, like, rate, and review. Many thanks to this episode's interviewees, Anna Marie and Chris Jones, Elizabeth Hasegawa Agresta and Thomas Agresta, Marissa and William Gwyn, Ashley and Emmanuel Awad, Sarah and Melinda Gandhi, Melinda Hale and John Volk, Michelle Chell Campos-Velez, and Army Grace Campos and Nikki and Ben, and to all of those who generously agreed to speak with us throughout this season. Thank you as well to our episode sponsors, Temple University's School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management, Next Level Trainings, and Lavin and Associates, and to all of this season's sponsors. Each episode of the Demystifying Diversity podcast is written, reported, and produced by me, Dara Lee Lyons, with the invaluable assistance of Anna Marie Jones, reporter, producer, and co-collaborator, Paul Kondo, assistant producer and editor, Raina Epstein, creative assistant, Sonny Taylor, content editor and creative collaborator, Monica Lynn, graphic designer, and Zach James, this season's marketing manager, who is now an official partner of the Demystifying Diversity podcast and who's been a major asset to our work in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Major shout out to Zach. Thank you so much for joining the team uh, in a more official capacity, and it is an honor to have you. The music you all heard today is The Flower by Michael Franti and Spearhead, featuring Victoria Canal. If you'd like to explore these topics outside of the podcast, pick up a copy of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity, wherever books are sold. Make sure to subscribe now so you'll be ready for season two. And tune in next week because we have a special Q&A episode um, with some new voices and a fun format. And as always, let's practice empathy and work together to create a more inclusive world.